Welcome to another episode of Tactical Tuesday with Modern Milsim. Through this podcast, we will bring you real-world tactics, techniques, and procedures that will enable you to succeed on the Milsim battlefield. It's time to make ready. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Tactical Tuesday with Modern Milsim. As always, I am your host, Craig White. Thank you for being here. Now today we're going to talk about saws, LMGs, and how to use both of them effectively on the Milsim battlefield. During this episode, we will discuss tactics, techniques, and procedures to achieve overmatch in engagements against the enemy. So let's get to it. So what are saws and LMGs? Well, a saw is an acronym that is short for Squad Automatic Weapon. LMG is an acronym that is short for light machine gun. Although both weapons are capable of sustained automatic fire, a saw is chambered in lighter caliber such as the 5.56mm round and typically is capable of higher rates of fire than the LMG. Examples of saws are the M249, the RPK, the L85, the M27 IAR, and the MG36. Now, as opposed to the saws, most LMGs are chambered in heavier caliber, such as a 7.62mm or 30 caliber rounds, and are capable of slightly lower rates of fire. LMGs are also sometimes categorized as general-purpose machine guns. Examples of LMGs are the M60, the MG42, the BAR, the FN Mag, the MG3, the HKMG5, the M240, the M240 Bravo, and the PKM. Now, the saw is organic to infantry squads and fire teams. Usually, at least one member of the fire team is a saw gunner. It is the backbone around which the fire team and, by extension, the squad's firepower is based. This weapon is one which can be effectively employed in both offensive and defensive operations from the bipod or shoulder position. Although the saw can be employed from the hip or underarm position, it is far less accurate and precise from those positions. As such, it should only be fired from the hip or under the arm when a high volume of fire is needed immediately and where the gunner does not have time to use a bipod or aim from the shoulder. Now, the light machine gun is typically organic to the platoon, but can be attached by the platoon leader to individual squads. These weapons, with their higher caliber rounds and increased weight, are typically employed in support by fire positions on the offense or in defensive positions. Although this podcast episode will focus on the effective use of saws and LMGs, Some Milsim event organizers also allow the use of heavy machine guns. Heavy machine guns are crew-serve weapons that typically fire much heavier caliber rounds such as the 50 caliber or the 12.7 millimeter. Examples of HMGs or heavy machine guns are the Browning M2, which is often referred to as the Maduce, and the DHSK, which is also referred to as the Dushka. Because of their weight, heavy machine guns are typically used in a defensive role unless they are mounted on armored fighting vehicles or technicals. Now, in military parlance, a technical or non-standard tactical vehicle, also known as an NSTV, is a light improvised fighting vehicle that is typically based on an open-back civilian pickup truck with a machine gun, anti-aircraft gun, rotary cannon, anti-tank weapon, anti-tank gun, anti-tank guided missile, mortar or multiple rocket launcher, Recoilless rifle or other support weapon mounted in the bed of it. An example of a technical is the Nissan pickup trucks used by ISIS in Syria. So getting back to the discussion of saws and LMGs, 
These weapons are typically the squad's highest casualty-producing weapon. They provide the heavy volume of accurate and sustained fire needed to achieve fire superiority. They're also the fire team squad and platoon's most effective weapon against dismounted enemy troops. A belt-fed SALT or LMG can continue to provide suppressing fire for a much longer period of time than a rifleman. Now, on the Milsim battlefield, there's really little significant difference between an LMG and SAW gunner. Most airsoft replicas, including LMGs and SAWs, are all chambered for 6mm plastic BBs. As such, both are employed in a similar fashion. That is why many Milsim event organizers classify both LMGs and SAWs as support weapons. For purposes of this episode, and to maintain as much clarity as possible on this subject, I will refer to both LMG and SAW operators as support gunners. So what makes someone an effective support gunner? Well, if you're using a support weapon to spray BBs all over the battlefield, you're not an effective support gunner. Instead, a support gunner needs to use his weapon's rate of fire in support of his buddies in the fire team or squad to achieve their objectives. He does this by achieving fire superiority over the enemy, by suppressing enemy positions, and when the opportunity presents itself to destroy the enemy. If you're going to be a support gunner, you really have to understand one central concept. You are not there to eliminate single players on the Milson battlefield. Instead, your role is to provide suppressing fire to keep the enemy pinned with their heads down. Doing so degrades enemy's situational awareness and makes it easier for other members of the fire team or squad to eliminate them. If you happen to eliminate a few players, that is great, but it should not be your focus. Now, one of the primary basic skills of a support gunner is his or her ability to consistently achieve accurate and precise fire on the enemy during combat operations. So what does this phrase mean? Well, accuracy refers to the support gunner's ability to hit a desired target point of aim. Precision refers to the ability to group rounds tightly on the desired point of impact. In other words, accuracy is the ability to hit a target with one or more rounds. Precision is the ability to put a tight group of multiple rounds on the desired point of impact. It is the size of the grouping of multiple rounds on target as opposed to simply hitting the target. And finally, consistency is the support gunner's ability to repeatedly achieve accurate and precise fire on the target. In order to be effective, support gunners need to hone their skills to the point where they can consistently put multiple accurate and precise rounds on the enemy. It is not simply volume of fire that suppresses the enemy. It is the accuracy and precision of the fire that accomplishes that purpose. Rounds need to impact close to the enemy to effectively suppress them. The enemy must believe that the support gunner's fire is accurate and precise enough that if he exposes his head from behind cover, it is going to be shot. So this leads us to a primary concept in the effective use of LMGs and saws. Support gunners must achieve overmatch. So what is overmatch? Overmatch is the application of proper skills and force to create an unfair fight in favor of the support gunner and by extension his fire team and squad. At any opportunity, the support gunner, alone and with the tasking and guidance of his fire team or squad leader, must exploit the key elements of overmatch to create an unfair advantage against the enemy. So here are the key elements of overmatch. Number one, the support gunner must detect and positively identify any suspected target as hostile at greater ranges than the enemy. Early detection and positive identification of the enemy contributes to overmatch. Number two, because of the greater range typically afforded to support gunners over riflemen, they can usually engage the enemy before it can engage him. The support gunner needs to maximize his advantage by engaging the enemy as soon as possible while it is in his standoff range. 
Optics can increase the ability of the support gunner to consistently place accurate and precise fire on the enemy. Exploitation of this difference in effective range creates overmatch. Number three, the support gunner must use skill to consistently provide accurate and precise fire at longer ranges than the enemy. Number four, the support gunner must be able to intuitively leverage natural motions to manipulate his weapon to facilitate initial and subsequent bursts at close quarters, mid, and extended ranges. This element also includes the support gunner's ability to mentally shift his fire to other targets depending on their lethality and or proximity to his position. So now let's talk about the characteristics of automatic fire. To be an effective support gunner, a player must be familiar with the characteristics of automatic fire. These characteristics help define the effective fire of a saw or light machine gun. So let's talk about them. So the first characteristic is line of sight. Line of sight is an imaginary line drawn from the shooter's eye through his gun sights and to his point of aim. Line of sight is used not only to zero his weapon to ensure its accuracy, but also to see and identify targets. Next, we have burst of fire. Burst of fire is the number of successive rounds fired from the weapon when the trigger is pulled. The number of rounds in the burst can vary depending on the type of fire employed by the support gunner. Then we come to trajectory. Trajectory is the path of the BB from where it leaves the muzzle of the weapon until its point of impact. Because 6mm BBs are round and typically weigh less than a third of a gram, their trajectory can be affected by both wind and by gravity, depending on whether the hop-up unit is properly adjusted. As the range increases, the trajectory of the BB will likely curve slightly up before curving down to the ground. Now, closely related to trajectory is maximum ordinate. Although this factor is much more important with real, live fire, it does have some impact on the employment of support weapons in milsim events. The maximum ordnance is the highest point above the line of sight the trajectory of the rounds reach between the weapon's muzzle and the base of the target. Like trajectory, the maximum ordnance changes with range. In milsim, the maximum ordnance is important when the support gunner is firing over friendly forces from high ground while they advance. The support gunner needs to be very aware of the ornament or the height of the BBs in the air to prevent fratricide or friendly fire. The next topic is the saw or LMG's cone of fire. The cone of fire is the pattern formed by the different trajectories of the BBs in each burst as they travel downrange toward the target. It is basically the spread of the BBs as they move toward the target. So this brings us to the beaten zone. Beaten as in B-E-A-T-E-N. Now, the beaten zone is somewhat of an unusual concept. The beaten zone is the oval-type pattern formed by the burst of BBs when they strike the ground or the target. The length or breadth of the beaten zone will change depending on the range to the target and the slope of the terrain surrounding the target. As range to the target increases, the beaten zone should become rounder and shorter, more like a circle. As the range increases, the beaten zone pattern should become longer and narrow, like an oval or cigar shape. For upsloping terrain at the same range, the beaten zone becomes shorter but maintains the same width. On downsloping ground, the beaten zone maintains the same width but gets longer. This concept is important because support gunners can make use of it to ensure that the majority of their rounds strike the target instead of flying over the enemy's head or striking the ground in front of them. For milsim purposes, the simplest way to do this is to hold low so that the point of aim is on the lower third of the target. When approximately 80% of the rounds from a burst strike the target, that is considered the effective beaten zone. 
So let's do an example of how a support gunner would need to take into account these various characteristics of automatic fire to hit a target. Obviously, it would be easier for him to hit a nearer target than one that is further away. The size of the cone of fire while BBs are traveling in the air make it likely that he can hit the target. The beaten zone is not really a factor because the target is well within the saw or LMG's range and would not yet be falling toward the ground. The support gunner also needs to take into account maximum ordnance, depending if the hop unit is set to apply a great deal of hop to the BBs. In that instance, he'd probably want to hold low to ensure that the burst does not travel over the target instead of hitting it. Now, for targets at longer ranges, the beaten zone becomes a much more important issue. At longer ranges, the BBs are likely to begin their descent to the ground and create a beaten zone. The support gunner must consider not only the size of his cone of fire, but also the shape of the beaten zone where the BBs will land. If the target is on an uphill slope, the beaten zone will be shortened. As such, he may need to fire a longer burst to create a thicker beaten zone and to hold a little higher to make sure the target is in the beaten zone where the BBs fall. So now it's time to move on to the next topic in this episode. Classification of Automatic Weapons Fire The United States Army classifies automatic weapons fire with respect to the ground, the target, and the weapon. Now, there are three types of automatic fire that is classified with respect to the ground. They are dead space, grazing fire, and plunging fire. Now, dead space is terrain that prevents a target from being engaged from a fixed position. As discussed in our first two episodes of this podcast, Dead space is an area that cannot be seen directly, nor can be fired upon with direct fire weapons. This dead space can be created by folds and depressions in the earth or other terrain that obscures line of sight. Dead space essentially represents areas where automatic fire is not effective. So then we have grazing fire. Grazing fire is where the center of the cone of fire does not rise more than one meter or three feet above the ground. Grazing fire is typically employed as final protective fire in the defense of a friendly position and is only really effective on level or uniformly sloped terrain. The point of grazing fire is to mow down enemy at approximately waist height. Obviously, dead space located along the path of grazing fire, especially depressions in the ground, defeat grazing fire because the cone of fire can pass over the enemy located in such depressions. Similarly, rises in terrain can act as a cover or drastically shorten the effective range of grazing fire by blocking or absorbing rounds that strike it. Remember, grazing fire only applies where the terrain allows the center of the cone of fire to be uniformly one meter or three feet above the ground. Now, the last classification of automatic fire that is based on its relation to terrain is plunging fire. Plunging fire occurs when there is little or no dead space from the muzzle of the weapon to the beaten zone. Plunging fire occurs when the weapon is fired at long range, when it fires from high ground to a target on low ground, when firing at a target on abruptly rising ground, or while firing across uneven terrain that results in the loss of grazing fire at various points along the center of its cone of fire. So now we're going to move on to the classification of automatic fire with respect to the target. Types of fire in this category are enfilade, frontal, flanking, and oblique fire. Unlike grazing fire and plunging fire, which are determined by terrain, Enfilade, frontal, flanking, and oblique fire are determined by how the enemy formation presents itself to the support gunner. So let's start by defining enfilade fire. Enfilade fire occurs when the long axis of the cone of fire or beaten zone coincides or nearly coincides with the long axis of the target. 
This is a type of automatic fire where many of the enemy can be eliminated by one burst of the support weapon because they are lined up directly in front of its muzzle. In some instances, enfilade fire can also be frontal fire or flanking fire on an enemy formation. Think of enfilade fire as firing through the length of an enemy formation. You are more likely to strike more enemy with enfilade fire, especially with automatic fire, when the burst is striking not only the enemy in the front of the formation, but also those further back. Next is frontal fire. Frontal fire occurs when the long axis of the cone of fire or beaten zone intersects at a 90 degree angle with the front of the enemy formation. This type of fire is preferred when engaging a file or column formation because the long axis of the formation coincides with the fire from the support gunner. This increases the likelihood of eliminating the enemy force in one or two bursts. Frontal fire is less effective against enemy in a line formation because the majority of the support gunner's fire falls in front of or behind the enemy and he must traverse his weapon to engage the remaining enemy in the formation. So when a support gunner fires at the front of a file or column formation, not only is the column receiving fire from its front, but the support gunner is also delivering enfilade fire because his cone of fire coincides with the length of the target through the depth of the formation. And so therefore his BBs are traveling through striking multiple enemy without having to move his weapon side to side and virtually wiping out the entire force with one burst. So now let's talk about oblique fire. Oblique fire occurs when the long axis of the support gunner's cone of fire, or beaten zone, intersects the enemy formation at any angle other than a 90 degree angle to its front or flank. Oblique fire is not particularly effective against any particular enemy formation. Examples of frontal, flank, oblique, and enfilade fire can be found in the post for this episode on the Modern Milsim Facebook page. In most instances, the support gunner usually has no choice but to accept the direction and formation of the enemy as they are presented to him. During defensive operations, however, the squad leader or fire team leader should analyze the terrain around the unit's position to identify terrain that can maximize the support gunner's chances of employing enfilade fire on the enemy. For example, if one of the enemy's avenues of approach is through constricting terrain that will force him to move in either a file or column formation, the squad leader or fire team leader will want to position the support gunner so that he has a clear line of fire down the avenue of approach. Should the enemy decide to move in that direction, it will present itself to enfilade fire from the support gunner's position down the length of its formation. So now let's move on to the last classification of automatic fire. And this is automatic fire with respect to the machine gun itself. These classifications are fixed, traversing, searching, traversing and searching, swing and traverse, and free fire. Now fixed fire is delivered to a stationary point target where depth and width of the cone of fire or beaten zone covers the target with little or no weapon movement. After the initial burst, the support gunner follows movement of the target without command. Fixed fire is often used to pin the enemy that is behind cover, such as trees and other smaller obstacles, such as boulders, rock piles, and the like. The support gunner stays on the target without much movement of the saw or LMG. Now, traversing fire is firing along the width of one or more targets that have minimal depth. The gun is traversed horizontally without change in elevation. These targets can be engaged with more than one burst. Traversing fire is often used against targets that are exceptionally wide or which are moving perpendicular to the support gunner. The support gunner uses this type of fire to sweep across his sector to engage larger targets 
and targets moving laterally through his sector. So now let's talk about searching fire. Searching fire is used against targets having depth but minimal width. It is accomplished by changing elevation with minimal change in direction. The amount of change in elevation depends upon range and ground slope. Next, we have traversing and searching fire. This fire is used against targets with both depth and width, such as enemy formations that are approaching at an oblique angle to the support gunner. It is also used on targets at differing heights. So then we move on to swinging traverse fire. Now, swinging traverse fire is often employed against targets with major changes in direction, but with no change in elevation. These targets can be large formations of troops that are moving slowly to or away from the support gunner, or vehicles and mounted troops that are moving perpendicular across the front of the support gunner. Swing and traverse fire tends to use a lot of ammunition because it's typically fired at the fastest rate possible. And then we've got the last characteristic of fire as it applies to the weapon, and that is free gun. Free gun is very similar to swinging traverse fire, except the targets in question have fast changes in both direction and elevation. This fire typically applies to aerial targets and will usually not be applicable in most MILSIM scenarios. Examples of characteristics of automatic fire are attached to the comments for this episode on the Modern MILSIM Facebook page. So now that we have finished the theoretical discussion of the use of SAWS and LFGs, let's talk about how they actually apply to the MILSIM battlefield. Generally speaking, automatic weapons fire is one of three rates of fire. There is rapid, sustained, and cyclic. Each is tailored to what goal the support gunner is trying to achieve. So here's what they mean. Rapid fire is defined as burst of 10 to 13 rounds fired every 2 to 3 seconds. Support gunners use rapid fire to suppress enemy positions quickly and to achieve fire superiority. It uses more ammunition than sustained fire in an effort to achieve fire superiority over the enemy. Sustained fire is used once the enemy is initially suppressed. Like the name, it is used to sustain ongoing suppression of the enemy. Sustained fire is defined as 6-9 to nine round burst fired every 4-5 to five seconds. As you can tell, sustained fire involves fewer rounds per burst and longer intervals between each burst than rapid fire. Then finally, we've got cyclic fire. And cyclic fire means continuous fire as fast as a weapon can fire it. Cyclic fire is not typically used except for final protective fire in defense of friendly positions. Obviously, such a continuous rate of fire consumes a large amount of ammunition. Now, whatever rate of fire is being used by the support gunner is delivered as either distributed or concentrated fire. For most targets, the support gunner will be using distributed fire on targets such as enemy formations. Concentrated fire is fire delivered against point targets such as enemy automatic weapon or other enemy fighting positions. With that in mind, here are some general tips in the use of saws and LMGs. First of all, the support gunner must learn how to distribute and concentrate his fire to achieve fire superiority. At the beginning of the engagement, the support gunner needs to distribute rapid fire to suppress the enemy and to achieve overwhelming fire superiority before switching to the use of sustained, concentrated burst to take out individual point targets. Second, the support gunner needs to attack high-priority targets, such as enemy machine guns and other heavy weapons or large infantry concentrations before moving on to other targets. For prioritizing targets, select the ones that are most likely to cause the highest friendly casualties based on the type of weapon, its accuracy, and range to friendly forces. Third, the support gunner must cover the entire target with fire 
Diverse the support weapon until every part of the target is covered either by the weapon's cone of fire or beaten zone, depending on terrain and range to the target. He does not want to leave gaps in his fire that would allow the enemy to escape or to use its weapons to eliminate him. Fourth, because of their sustained rate of fire, especially compared to that of a rifleman, support weapons are typically used to suppress the enemy in an effort to pin them and keep their eyes down and behind cover. This degrades the enemy's situational awareness and hopefully allows another element to flank and destroy them. That being said, this tactic only works if another element moves to flank the enemy while it is pinned behind cover. The biggest complaint that I have heard from support gunners is that friendly troops will not move up while the enemy is suppressed. The support gunner is not intended to take an enemy position by himself. He is usually the base of fire to suppress the enemy while riflemen move up and flank it. This is the maneuver part of fire maneuver. You use initiative and the enemy's diminished situational awareness to maneuver into an advantageous position to destroy him. Now, in the defensive role, there may be an occasion where the support gunner's position is about to be overrun. In that event, the support gunner may transition to cyclic rate of fire as final protective fire to put as many rounds downrange as possible. He should also use grazing fire, like we discussed earlier, to ensure that his fire hits any enemy that is not behind cover or in dead space below his line of fire. And this is where the position of a support gunner is so important to the defense of a friendly position. A properly positioned support gunner can largely lock down the enemy's best avenue of approach to the defensive position. Whenever possible, the squad leader will need to position the support gunner where he can cover the enemy's most likely avenue of approach with grazing fire. When properly used, a support gunner provides fire equal to five or more men. As such, the squad leader or fire team leader needs to protect the support gunner as much as possible. As indicated early in our discussion, the SAW or LMG is usually the highest enemy casualty causing weapon for the fire team or squad. For that reason, it is often a good idea to position a rifleman near the support gunner to provide him with security and to help him identify targets. Now let's talk more specifically about the use of saws and LMGs on the offense. Unlike heavier machine guns, saws and LMGs on the Milson battlefield can use assault fire when in close combat. Assault fire is performed by the support gunner while firing the weapon from the shoulder or hip. Obviously, firing the weapon from the shoulder is clearly more accurate because the support gunner can point fire at closer distances and use his gun sights to engage targets at longer ranges. The support gunner can also engage enemy from a defilade position. Defilade is defined as protection from hostile observation and fire provided by natural or artificial obstacles. Such obstacles include, but are not limited to, hills, trenches, ridges, corners of buildings, or berms. Basically, defilade is using the terrain as cover to protect the support gunner from enemy fire. Typically, the support gunner is on the reverse slope of a berm or ridge when he employs defilade fire and cannot easily direct fire on the enemy himself. Often, another player will have to direct the support gunner's fire onto the target. Defilade fire better protects the support gunner, but hinders his ability to observe targets and engage them. Now on the defense, the squad leader or fire team leader should position the support gunner with a sector of fire where he can be most effective. Typically, this is the most likely enemy avenue of approach. At that time, the squad leader or fire team leader may designate a second firing position for the support gunner if the friendly position may be overrun and final protective fire is needed. Quite often, the support gunner will be assigned a secondary sector of fire corresponding to the enemy's second most likely avenue of approach. 
Now, although the squad leader and fire team leader can give oral commands to support gunners to control their fire, hand signals can be very helpful in giving commands to the support gunner in loud environments or when stealth is necessary. So let's talk about a few of the more important ones. The first one I want to talk about is the ready signal. To perform the ready signal, the support gunner raises his non-firing hand up and points it toward the fire team leader or squad leader. The next one on the list is commence firing. The fire team leader or squad leader brings his hand with the palm down to the front of his body at about waist height and moves it back and forth horizontally. To signal an increase in the firing rate, he moves his hand more rapidly back and forth. To signal a decrease in fire rate, he does the exact opposite. And then we have change targets. The squad leader or fire team leader generally points in the direction of the new target that they want the support gunner to engage. Then we have cease fire. The squad leader or fire team leader raises his arm with the palm facing out in front of his forehead and then brings it down sharply. And these are the four most often used hand signals used when directing support gunner fire. So next we're going to discuss standing operating procedures for support gunners. Standing operating procedures are actions executed without any command from the fire team leader or squad leader. Use of standing operating procedures can exponentially increase the effectiveness of the support gunner. Here are some examples. Number one, observation. The support gunner must maintain observation over his assigned sectors. Number two, fire. The support gunner opens fire without command on appropriate targets appearing within his sector. Number three, check. While firing, the support gunner periodically checks with the fire team leader or squad leader for instructions or directions. Number four, return fire. The support gunner returns enemy fire without order with a concentration on enemy automatic weapons. Number five, shifting fire. The support gunner shifts fire without command when more dangerous targets become apparent to him. Number six, rate of fire. When the support gunner engages a target, he initially fires at a firing rate necessary to gain and maintain fire superiority. Number seven, mutual support. When two or more support gunners are engaging the same target and one stops firing, the other increases his rate of fire and covers the entire target. When only one support gunner is required to engage a target and the squad leader or fire team leader has alerted another support gunner of it, the non-firing support gunner holds aim on the target and follows it in case the firing saw or LMG jams. In that event, he immediately engages the target. So now let's talk about final protective fire. I know I've mentioned that earlier in this episode, but I do want to explain what it means. Final protective fire, or FPF for short, is a prearranged barrier of fire to stop enemy movement across a defensive line or area. The final protective line, or FPL, is a predetermined line along which grazing fire is employed to stop an enemy assault. If a final protective line is assigned, the support gunner sights along it except when other targets are being engaged. Should the enemy move to assault over the FPL, the support gunner switches targets to the enemy crossing it. Now a good final protective line covers the maximum area with grazing fire. Now there is a simple way to determine dead space while employing grazing fire. Once the support gunner is in position to apply grazing fire, another player stands in that sector. The support gunner then adjusts his sight picture to a point between the player's waist and his knees. The player then moves to or away from the support gunner's position. Whenever the player's waist falls below the support gunner's point of aim, he is standing in dead space. The terrain at that location is low enough that grazing fire may not strike a crawling or kneeling enemy. So this brings us to the final topic of this discussion, and that is talking guns. 
This is a technique often employed between two or more support gunners. Support gunners fire in alternating bursts of various lengths to keep the enemy off balance and give them the impression that they are being engaged by more than two saws or machine guns. Initially, both support gunners engage the enemy with rapid fire to achieve fire superiority. On order or based on SOPs, one support gunner will then transition from rapid to sustained fire on an enemy position while the second gunner tracks where the first support gunner is firing. When the first support gunner pauses after firing a burst, the second gunner will engage the target with one or more bursts. When the second support gunner is firing, the first support gunner tracks where he is shooting. Be aware that each support gunner may shift fire during different targets while firing. In such circumstances, the non-firing support gunner continues to track where the other is firing. Both support gunners alternate firing in this manner until given the order to cease fire or until all threats are eliminated. This method of employing saws and LMGs and or other crew-served automatic weapons also allows for one support gunner to reload while the other is firing. This technique is highly effective on the Milson battlefield. However, it requires experienced support gunners to perform it effectively. Each support gunner has to work off the actions of the other to give the enemy the impression that there are more than two guns engaging them. So these are some of the basic tactics, techniques, and procedures for the effective use of saws and LMGs on the Milson battlefield. Now next week, we're going to discuss how to set up and effectively execute ambushes. Now, if you have any topics you would like to see covered in future episodes of Tactical Tuesday, please let us know by posting it on the Modern Milson Facebook page. I'm always interested in your input. If it's not one of the topics we are already planning to cover, we will likely add it to the list. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as well as many others. And again, thank you for your support, and I'll see you at our next episode. To our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to providing you with new episodes every two weeks. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please subscribe and provide us with a review. We want to know what you like and how we can improve. You can also contact us on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash modern with any suggestions you may have. In our next episode of Tactical Tuesday, we will discuss effective use of ambushes on the Milsim battlefield, including types of effective ambushes, communication, and security, as well as proper execution of them for maximum effect. If you want to know more about application of real-world tactics, Techniques and procedures to MILSIM, please check out from Alpha to Omega, a MILSIM tactical primer and training manual, as well as from Insertion to Extraction, Advanced MILSIM CQB Tactics, Techniques, and Procedures. Both books are available at Amazon.com. As always, thank you for your support, and I'll see you at our next installment of Tactical Tuesday.